Hello, and welcome to the Self Project Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Martin, and I'm a life mindset and human design mentor who is all about helping you heal and rediscover your authentic self so you can go out and do some really epic stuff. So this podcast is going to be all about spirituality, self-empowerment, self-discovery, wellness, healing, parenting, sobriety, mental health, you name it, we're going to talk about it. This is all about helping you along in your own self-project journey. So go ahead and let's sit back and dive right in. So I want to welcome to the show today, Dr. Paul Artali, And he is a motivational speaker and work-life balance coach who helps people break through their challenges and live life on their terms. He is also a podcast host and an author. And I just have to say thank you so much again for being here with us today and being willing to share your story with us because your story is incredible. And also being willing to share a few tips with us on work-life balance because again, there's we were discussing a little bit before we started recording how this doesn't, um, you know, this can apply to everybody, no matter what your goals are, what work you're doing, what, um, you know, growth or changes that you're wanting to bring to your life. This can apply to everybody. So I'm really excited that he's going to uh, talk with us more about that. So if you don't mind, before I just start talking and rambling. Do you mind telling us just more about you, Paul, and kind of more of your story? Sure. So in the beginning, I was born in Toronto, Canada. And uh, if you were to look at me, uh, for those that are listening, you, you know, I, I'm missing fingers and I have shortened forearms. So I always say like, my left hand looks like a ninja turtle. My right hand is like a Lego man hand. And um, so that was how I was born, My, you know, and I always had a love of sports and all things physical. So for me, like I, I fell in love with football the minute I saw it because it was like a sport that really rewarded my aggression and like my like I'm just who I am. So I tried soccer and basketball, and they're all fine, fine sports. But football like had my heart, and I really, especially as a team sport. Individually, I'd done martial arts since I was about eleven or twelve or so, and and liked that a lot. And I still practice it in many ways. But my dream was to to play college football, but. Uh, you know, in short, I was cut in my high school team going into my senior year, and I thought my career was over. Uh, the closest I came to a football field in high school I, after in my senior year was reporting on it for the school paper. Our team won like the city championship, went on, and then I went off to do my undergraduate. And again, the closest I got uh, to football was Saturdays in the stands watching the team play. And uh, that year they, they won a national championship. And I just remember sitting in the stands and thinking to myself, wow, I, I wish I could be on that field again. Um, and so, but you know, life goes on, you get your degree, you do a lot of cool things. I ended up going to the University of Toronto for a one-year program that would certify me to be a, um, a K-12 teacher, which in Canada, the, the teacher certification works a little bit differently. Most people get their undergrad first, and then there's like a one-year program that gets you certified to be a teacher. Well, by doing that, I was actually eligible to try out for the team, and they had a walk-on policy. And I, I went and I walked on that previous summer. And that was told to me because that previous summer I was playing semi-pro and I had actually gotten out to a semi-pro team. And some of my teammates had told me, you should, you're going to Toronto. You should, you should walk on and try. And I was, I was like terrified, uh, especially because I basically dislocated my elbow in semi-pro, but I didn't tell anyone. And uh, I, I walked on, played 
you know, walked down to the team, was really upfront with the coaches about who I was, what I looked like, had meetings with them, went, you know, tested, did all the stuff that you do to be on a, a football team, spent the first half of the season as a practice squad guy, kind of spent the last half of the season traveling with the team, playing a little bit. Um, and, and that was kind of like, that was my one shot to play college football. And once that was done, it actually translated into a five five or six year career as a college football coach, which is how I ended up in the United States. I went from coaching at the University of Toronto as an intern to going to the to some different colleges in Kansas and Nebraska, small colleges and coaching there as an assistant coach and special teams coordinator. So I just started my journey into, uh, into football, but more importantly, cause I, you know, people sometimes joke and call me the Canadian Rudy and, uh, I wish my last, I wish the last play of my college career was as cool as, as Mr. Rudiger. Uh, but, uh, you know, what, what I learned from that situation, which is, you know, obviously as a motivational speaker, that's what I started to speak on. It's still one of my main, my main talks is my football journey and what we all can learn from it. But for me, I learned two really important lessons out of that, out of that story. Um, the first was, was that opportunity presents itself and you have to take it. You cannot say no to it. And it was, I was blessed and lucky that I had this shot. Just, it fell into my lap. You know, other people brought it to my attention. Uh, but when the opportunity was there, I took it. Uh, whereas the irony was in the six years, you know, between being cut in high school and then playing on a college field, I thought, I thought to myself that this is never going to happen, but I also had opportunities to at least try out for other teams, city teams. You know, you look at, I look back now and like, I could have transferred to a high school with a team. I could have done these things. Right. Uh, and so for me, I had these opportunities, but I always felt that, you know, because of one thing that happened to me that nothing could ever be changed and it, it screwed up my mindset. And so after that, I, I, I vowed myself, number one, I would always take opportunity when it presented itself, if it was really true to who I was, no matter how afraid I was to take it. And number two is that I was never going to let other people dictate what kind of future I was going to have. I was going to make my own future or at least control how I react to what happened in front of me. And that was so important. That's been the philosophy of what I've done moving forward as, as, a, as a speaker and trainer and coach and all and all the good stuff that comes with that. Uh, yes. I'm like, I want to stand up and cheer and do a mic drop. <laughs> I really love what you're saying about opportunity. And um, I myself, I'm going to throw a little bit of my own um, work that I do and throw some human design in here. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but um, human design, we talk all about to um, responding. And it's so I'm thinking of like responding to opportunities that if it felt right for you and it felt that um, that was the direction for you to go. And so I really love that you bring that up because there's opportunities all around us and um you know whether you're looking for them or not or like you said you had many people suggest it to you so you're presented with that opportunity but then you also went and took inspired action on that opportunity you went and did your part to go take the action on that opportunity so i just um you know i love that you that you talk about that so do you mind kind of telling us obviously um you had some mindset shifts that you had to make or to overcome to do this, because like you said, you had a six year period where you weren't, you know, playing or, you know, in between there. So what were some of the, if you don't mind sharing with us, just a couple mindset, mindset things that you did with yourself to 
to get yourself out there taking action? Well, I think the first thing was I, I had to learn to um, I had to learn to change the vocabulary in my head, right? And so I talk a lot about what I call a mental dictionary, right? These are the words that we use to describe ourselves, our abilities, um, how things happen to us, right? And uh, and they're very powerful because when something happens to us, doesn't matter what it is, they are they influence and color the lens that we see our world through, right? And for me. You know, it wasn't, I'll give you an example that, you know, playing football, college football, even at, when I was at University of Toronto, I always was the guy, you know, in my head, I was like, I'm just, I just want to play. And I was like this disabled football player, or the guy with a lot of heart, because that's how you get, you kind of get branded. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a thing. And that was my vocabulary. And then one day, one of my coaches said to me, like, dude, like, you're a pretty good athlete. And I never seen myself as an athlete before. Right. I mean, I was. I was hanging out with the college football team. Um, you know, there are guys that didn't make it past through camp. I hung out there, right? I mean, there's all I could do some athletic things that other people couldn't do. Um, I wasn't the fastest guy, uh, like the slowest on the team, but but all that, like I was I was an athlete, like I had that, and that when someone I needed someone to recognize that, unfortunately. Uh, but it was powerful enough that it changed how I saw myself. And I, so I always say I, I deleted things like disabled athlete and you know, the heart inspiring athlete or disabled football player, heart inspiring football player. And like in my mind, now I'm an athlete, right? I'm a top performer. And I always said that moving forward, I would never refer to myself in a less than situation that I would always sort of shoot for whatever the best is, right? I wouldn't be like, I'm just a guy who speaks. Like I am a motivational speaker. I, I, you know, my, my message to people is own who you are, own your expertise, right? So, um, and I think a lot of times we're afraid to do that, uh, but you, you just got to take power. You got to take the power and put that sort of on you as much as possible. So that was a big mindset shift for me. We talked about a little bit about just taking opportunity. I always say you have to either take opportunity or create opportunity, right? Uh, and, and and I guess sometimes find opportunities, those are three, right? Take, create, find. Uh, and that was you know, most things aren't impossible. Um, and, and everything, everything that you want to do is at least worth the attempt, which is another mindset shift. Like if you want, sometimes we just need to scratch the itch. Like as much as I talk about going after your goals and doing it, like it's okay to pivot away from something because you're like, eh, I've had my fill or maybe this isn't for me, but it's not okay to never try it or to get a, get to a roadblock. And that's the reason you go, you go through, right? Like I, I love coaching football. Like to put it in the context, I coached football for about six seasons, six years of my life. And in that six years, probably about 15 or 16 teams, I was always coaching something. I was coaching literally, I was coaching kids. I was coaching college. I was coaching high school. I'd be a guest coach at something. I was always on a field for six years. I loved it. And then I made a shift to becoming, uh, without going into too much detail at the time thinking it was going to go into more athletic administration, which led me down a path towards the PhD. Uh, and I missed it, but I'm okay. Like for me right now, I, that itch was scratched. And so I left it not like hitting a roadblock. Just that was a different evolution for me in my life. But I, you know, as a mindset to think that when things get hard or I can't do that because fill in the blank, you know, um, or when you have that desire and say, I really want to do blank and to think of not, trying to find a way to get to that, I think is the mindset, the mind, the mindset shift I've had. I mean, think about, like I talked about being in the stands, you know, as an undergraduate watching my university win uh, the national title, right? I mean, six years later, five years later, whatever it was, I'm, I'm on the sidelines of that stadium, right? We're now playing my former university, but I'm on the sidelines on the field, looking at where I used to sit almost every Saturday. 
uh, and I look and I think about that, and I think about what I learned from it. What's powerful about that is the guy that sat in the seats really wanted to play football, but had no idea how to get there and didn't have enough confidence and courage to actually explore how to get there. I mean, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that that team had a walk on policy. Like, I mean, you know, and so thinking about that, like, just you can't deny yourself the opportunity or, or the opportunity to take a chance. You got to leave it all out there. Uh, so that's been like the biggest mindset shifts for me that I think I try to impart with anybody I coach or talk to or audiences I speak to. Those are one of the, it's one of the most important things. That is so powerful. I want to kind of touch on too, um, what I heard you kind of saying at first is we almost, well, no, we do do this, not even an almost about it. We label ourselves, whether that's labels that we give ourselves, those labels that we've picked up along the way, whether it's like, you know, in my case, it was mom, wife, nurse, you know, um, I had a period, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So it was alcoholic. It was this, it was that. And, um, you know, later, actually just only recently I've been getting, I've, begun to re-examine those and thinking, why do I have to be necessarily labeled that? Why am I labeled that? Um, or I also like to mention my youngest son um, has ADHD and this is a struggle that we've had with him as he's identified with this label, um, you know, of telling him and it's it's been this process of us telling him like, you are not this label. So I think it's really powerful what you say about you can change these labels for yourself because that's really what they are. Where did you, you know, like you said, you went from just like the heart guy to know you are an athlete and you got to declare that and you got to change that label. So I think that that's really powerful. I also, also wanted to say like, it's okay to pivot. It's not okay for you to not try. I think that was powerful too. I went through a period of that, you know, as I've been starting my business and my podcast and it's nerve wracking and I'm like, do I really want to do this? I don't know. Should I try that? What are people going to think? And it's like, just do it. And like you said, it's, it's okay to pivot if you get halfway in it and you're like, this is not for me or mm, not quite what I thought, or I want to change this up. Like that's okay. So I think that's a really important reminder. I say to piggyback off of that, it's, I call it like, it's, live life, make an informed decision to live life on your terms, right? Like don't, I think sometimes I'm mistaken. I'm just going to do it my way. Cause you know, that's just the way it is. And that's, that's who I am. And ain't nobody get like that. Yeah. That'll get you not much. Right. Like, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's not kind of what I'm advocating, but the podcast is a great example. So I have a podcast, right. It drops every Monday. It's called fiercely successful. It's literally me in this basement just ranting for 15, 20 minutes, just whatever happened to me that week. That's what I talk about. And I said, I want to do this. I don't know where this is going to go. Um, I said, but for audiences who like me and like my thoughts and just like me in a pure sort of unabashed form, that's what you're going to get. And I'm okay with that. And I'm also like looking after I'm about to wrap up my 25th episode going into next week. So like, I'm thinking I'm going to call that season one, take a few weeks off to promote the previous episodes. And I might come back with a different, I might, every season I might take a different flavor, which I'm kind of thinking about doing. So season two for me might be interviewing people, right? It, you know, it might be just something different, but I'm okay taking that risk, right? Because I've, you know, I've looked into it, but um for me, it's, you know, I looked into like different podcast formats, which ones are 
do better than others and all that. And at the end of the day, I was like, this is what people are like, which ones do you like? Well, I like the ones where sometimes people are kind of just sharing their, their thoughts and their points of view. And so I created this podcast uh, for those who like me and my point of view and what I'm talking about. I try to keep them like 15 to 20 minutes so that I'm not ranting for three hours. That's not me either. Um, it could be, but that's not what people want to listen to, but it is what it is. And so I, I think that's important for us though, is to like just experiment and be happy with, who we are and to be open to changing and pivoting. I think pivoting is so underrated because we equate it with failure and it's not failure. It's evolution. In a lot of cases, um, you know, we, we celebrate people who failed once they've succeeded, but we don't want to, right. Right. I mean, like it's Henry Ford failed. I mean, and pick any actor you love or any musician and they've been rejected way more, way more many times, you know, almost all of them than they were accepted. And we, we tend to celebrate the success and we use the failure as a backstory because nobody's going to watch a movie about, I don't know why Luke Perry came to my mind, but I remember like Luke, Luke Perry back for those I'm dating myself, but like, you know, the guy was a construction worker about to quit acting and then he got the job on 90210, right? Like, I mean, and so, but no one really wants to see that people don't always want to see the movie about the stuff before they want maybe 10 minutes of that. And then he makes it as an actor. And then we, let's, hear, let's hear what else. I mean, watch any biography, right? It's like, so-and-so grew up poor. It's grew up in this bad situation, like five minutes into it. It's like, but then they were successful. And let's talk about all the great things they've done. Right. And so I think it's okay to, to experiment, to, to fail, to pivot. Um, as, as long as you you're aware of everything that's going on and knowing that you're, you're continually getting better and knowing that something that you saw as a failure can actually help you down the road succeed. So let's say podcasting doesn't work out the way someone wants it. Well, maybe the skills you picked up in editing or just speaking your thoughts or marketing yourself or whatever will help you in your next endeavor, right? But you wouldn't have learned those before without that piece, right? So everything's part of a kind of a cool puzzle to me. Everything's a stepping stone to to where you're going, even if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> kind of like me. <laughs> everything's a stepping stone to get you to the next stage. Um, I really love, um, you know, we're talking about experimenting and I just think like as children, we encourage our own children to experiment, try different things, like see what you love to do. But then yet, so we evolve into adults. It's a like some point we figure like, oh, we have to have it all figured out and we have to have, you know, one or two things that we love and that we focus on and we have to know, like, you know, we have to grow up. We have to know what we want to be when we grow up kind of thing. So I love that we can just remind people like treat it like being a child again. Why can't we experiment well into our adulthoods and try out different things and return to that childlike possibility again? Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're acclimated to, to saying no and being told no, um, specifically being told no, what we can't do. We're put into a box, you know, kind of minute we go into school right so like i wrote a book called the two-year-old the two-year-old guide to work-life balance and you know it's about work-life lessons my son taught me but uh i have a whole chapter in there called no and it's like we all know children will say no to anything right like they're so instinctual whether it drives us crazy or not whether they should eat the peas or not they don't want to eat the peas because it's gross to them but there's some reason they don't want to eat it and they're very in tune with it which is why kids like if they're not your kids are hilarious to watch because they're very primal but there's something beautiful in that because they are being very true to their emotions and their feelings. And even when a child has big emotions, big feelings and acting in a way that really is unacceptable, but 
the idea that they can express them, they're trying to express themselves. Maybe they haven't figured it out the best way to do it. But a largely how we tell them to express themselves is like this societal concept, right? Like I'm Italian, so we, we, we can be loud. We're allowed to be loud in certain contexts, right? Other cultures don't. But my, my, my point with all of that is that we're, as we get older, it gets harder and harder for us to say no and harder and harder for us to sort of buck the system or buck whatever the concept of whatever you're supposed to be is, right? Like the one thing's like, I love, I got asked today, I was speaking earlier today, virtually, and and someone asked me, how, how do you sort of stay happy or content in the pandemic with all that's going on? And clearly everything that's going on right now is, is you know, it's tough and it's terrible and it's challenging and it's scary. But I said, this is also opportunity for us to experiment with how we want our lives to look. People are telecommuting now that we're told they could never telecommute in their jobs before this, right? Uh, and some people are like, I, I kind of like this, right? I mean, I talked to some people at offices and they're like, we can't get our staff to show up to socials, but they were always coming in person. I can't wait to come in person. I'm like, you got to understand in person, Bob didn't show up to the social because he really wanted to be there. Bob showed up because he didn't want to do work and he wanted a cupcake. Now that it's virtual, Bob is like, I could be using this time to do work or just sit and watch Netflix or just do something at my own pace and 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 refresh himself that way. And and so I think a lot of companies are having to have a reckoning with like, what does this mean? But it's a chance for people to see what they like. Um, a lot of meetings sometimes got canceled early on in this, in, in this pandemic. People were like, oh, these meetings are weren't necessarily necessary, right? And so like people are starting to discover things. Um, and even with like speaking, like, you know, I was looking at doing more coaching and and, and different endeavors virtually before this, this accelerated like everybody else, but it's, it's a great opportunity. I can connect with people across the world and not have to travel as much um, and be much more choosy about where I travel once all of this clears up. And I think it's beautiful. So I think, you know, um, but again, pre-pandemic, we were told, no, you can't do that. No, that's not the way to do it. Now it's here and now it's changing our shift. And so I think for us, we just have to always be attuned to that and to constantly fight. I mean, for work-life balance, I tell people work-life balance is a muscle. Work-life balance is a mindset. Nobody's going to give it to you. Even in companies that have the greatest work-life balance initiatives, they have time off, unpaid, you know, unlimited vacation, you name it. It's great. Uh, but it, the company typically is not going to encourage you to use it. Uh, they're not going to tell you to use it. They're not going to force you to use it. That's for sure. It's in your hands to to go after it. And if you're not in a company like that's like that, then it's definitely even more so on you to advocate for what you want and, and to move the ball forward because no one will do it for you. So I think we have to buck those conventions, but the beauty about, you know, pushing back a little bit or trying to do things a little bit differently is that somewhere down the line, you or someone next to you makes headway and that starts to shift the culture, right? Like when my, my wife was pregnant with our first son, uh, our only son, our first child, I should say. <laughs> and, and, you know, she didn't know about intermittent leave, right? So those, you know, for, for those who want to know Family Medical Leave Act, right? 12, what you can, you have 12 weeks, right? Of uh, vacation time or slash that they will hold your job. Uh, and because I was, you know, my research is in work life and I, I cross a lot of HR fields, you know, I was like, I learned about intermittent leave myself. And I said, you know, you don't have to take those 12 weeks all in one block. You can sort of take four weeks and then come back half time. And so I've, she negotiated something that in the beginning was not what she wanted. She wanted less she wanted to kind of ramp up like a lot longer. And they kind of said, and I think they just said at the end of the day, we'll take 10 weeks. And then the, the final four, we could do half time or something. And I, you know, and, and I, but I just remember saying to my wife, I said like, 
yeah, but you've moved the ball along. Like you went to your HR and they didn't even really know what that, they didn't even know if they could do it. Like that's how far back they were. And now you've done it. And there are a bunch of other office workers who are also expecting children. And all of a sudden they started to ask for that type of thing. Cause they saw it. They said, oh, you're back. She's like, no, I'm only back half time for a couple of weeks. Was I get, you know, and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm going to think about that when I have my child. So we move the ball forward in ways that we don't even know, but it's just, you have to have the courage again coming back to taking the opportunity or finding the opportunity you got to have that courage to to at least make that initial step forward i love that you bring that up yeah because sometimes um and i've heard this before we don't know necessarily know what's possible for us or what's available to us it's the expression is like children will reach for the highest branch that they can see so i think that's true of all of us (laughs) that's what i'm trying to say yeah, no, absolutely. It's and that's the way. And I think again, as we get older, we we sometimes think, well, it's not realistic. Do I have the time? And, and and quite often, it's just we have to, we have to be the ones to have that kind of courage. There's really no limit. And and, and I'm I'm a realist, by the way. So I mean, you know, if, if you're 45 years old and you want to sell your house and, and go be a traveling musician, you got a wife and three kids and, and a student loan. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying your approach to that dream is going to be way different than if you're 19. That doesn't mean it can't be done, but it's a, you got you have to find the trajectory that works within your life and the um, and, and within the commitments and obligations you have. Uh, but that being said, there's no reason why you can't. I mean, you know, Rodney Dangerfield didn't start his career until he was like 45. I mean, like you know, he was an aluminum siding salesman. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and so thinking about those pieces, you can have those shifts. It's incredible. So while you were talking, I kind of picked up on something that I wanted to see. Maybe if you could offer a couple of tips on, we are talking about work-life balance and then you're talking about, um, you know, working from home during COVID. And I, my husband specifically popped into my mind because he has a pretty demanding office job, one that he tries to um, put away when he comes home and he's gotten better about that, but he's really struggled. Um, and I don't know if you've seen this with other people as well, just working from home and trying to blend work and family and trying to, you know, make lunch for the kids in between taking meeting calls. Do you, have you, um, you know, seen anybody kind of struggling with this, how to incorporate it all and actually work from home successfully? Absolutely. And this, this is deeper than just the COVID again, COVID just throws everything in our face. So everything's more extreme, but you know, to start with that, I mean, a lot of what I talk about with work life, it's, it's like, number one is mindset. Number two is about boundaries and managing your boundaries. And it's a close three is turning things off. Um, uh, mentally that is. And, and as I'm, I'm sort of conducting work-life interviews with people for a, a group, I'm, I'm creating a mastermind program I'm creating. And so as I'm interviewing people to see what's going to be in this mastermind program, turning things off and life, life blending together, are like, so high up there in terms of like consistencies across fields, right? I got people in law enforcement telling me along with people that are in office, traditional office work with teachers, right? They're all kind of saying the same thing. It looks different. So a couple strategy wise, a couple things you have, you have to do in terms of today's current environment. Number one, you have to, you have to construct a boundary across like when is work going to turn off or, or when does family start? Like you have to, Worst case scenario, you got to create a schedule, right? You have to do that, which means you might have to put the phone in a drawer for an hour and lock it. I mean, let's put your technology away, but you have to create boundaries. You have to create what I call sacred time, right? Time that is sacred to you. And that is impenetrable. 
And I know it's really hard in office jobs. And actually people, now that people are working from home, one thing that's challenging is that people feel like they have to work more because they have to justify it, especially in jobs that don't have a very definitive end product, right? So if you had a definitive end product, like you need so many billable hours, well, that's still your metric. And that's not, the challenge is how to make sure your kids don't walk in on a meeting and ruin ruin it. But the challenge, you know, but generally speaking, if you got to have 200 billable hours a, a week or whatever that fun number is, then you're going to do that from home. So that, that's easy. Everyone else is like, well, is it okay for me to be more relaxed? Like I kind of joked at the time you would spend at the office, like I said, go and, go and get a cupcake at the party. Like, what do you do with that half an hour now? Now we try, instead of like getting a cupcake for ourselves in the kitchen and relaxing, we now try and fill it with more work. Um, so I think you have to construct sacred time and boundaries over life, work and life. And I think I'm a big fan of like practical things. Turn the notifications off on your phone. Set, turn your, like, turn it off. Turn off anything that vibrates. Um, at, at certain points in the day. I think what's important, especially for people that have trouble blending. So if you have trouble blending, that means you're, you have more of what we call a separative style. So there's three types of boundary styles. There's separative, integrative, and there's what kind of we call volleyers or shifters, right? So uh, separators like to mishmash everything together. This, this, this whole thing is fine with them. It's great. Uh, separators are having a lot of trouble right now, right? Because they really want time, you know, like home time was at home. So it was really easy to say, to construct it, even if they were working in the office for 12 hours, when time they were home, it was very sacred to them. And the volumes kind of shift. They kind of go with the flow depending on what needs to be done. So for those that are really separative, I think you have to create, you have to create separation points. Um, so for some, it could be if your, if your home setup allows, like I only do work in my office. So the office becomes the space, the queue. All right. So time and space are cues for those that really have trouble blending, don't like the blend. So maybe the office or something you designate an office is like the only place that you go do your work. Um, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe, you know, your exercise is going to be outdoors now instead of indoors, even in winter in some of those states, because that's, you have, you have to change the, the places, right? Maybe the car is going to have a different function than it did before. Um, whatever it is, you have to create different space cues as, as your, as you're working from home and as you're trying to blend this because I can't, I mean, there's a level of like, we can't change that. There's certain things we can't change, especially if your office is not even open to you working. I know some offices now are opening or at least allowing people to work if they feel comfortable and they really monitor. And I'll say this, that if you don't mind the commute, whatever that is, and it's like, you're the only person in the office, you want to drive into an office and sit in a cubicle or whatever it is. And there's no one else there, but that's going to give you, I know people that have chosen that, right? Like they're going to take, a minimal risk to do that. Um, but if you're not willing to do that or you can't do that, then I really do think you have to think about creating very intentional spaces where you can then integrate that and to record and to, to be honest with the people at home that like, this is, this is my workspace, right? So this is my office door. You see some of the memes out there now, like, you know, uh, put something on your, you know, put something on your door, you know, but say here are my hours, like whatever it is, if you need that. And then to really try and reiterate, these are my times. And even with the kids, depending on their age, letting them know that, you know, you might have to, you can bother daddy or mommy, but this, these are, these are the rules under, under which that happens. Right. So I think it's really about constructing those boundaries and, and keeping them sacred. Putting those boundaries in place. Although I think that working from home have blurred them because um, when you were talking, he's very much a separated person. He's very much a work. It was at work. And then when he came home, he was able to, you know, leave that. And so he, like I said, he's really been struggling with that blending, but. Well, the other, the other thing for him to think about and folks that are in his situation is like, what are, I mean, be very specific about like after a certain hour, this is what you can contact me with. And this is what can wait. Right. Because as a school district, like, hey, are we going to open the school? 
Um, yeah, that health stuff, we, we maybe need to talk at nine o'clock at night, something about a teacher issue or something or something you know, like I used to be in K-12 education for a hot minute. So I know, and it, it, most of my work, you know, outside of speaking was in education. So I know that like, there are a lot of things that some things that are pressing time-wise and a lot of stuff that is not, but it, it's, it's presented as. So I think if you can help delineate, like, yeah, the topics, you know, for all of us after hours, these things aren't, other things aren't important. Let's, let's keep the, the communication to a minimum. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because when you were speaking, I was thinking I have some teacher friends too, or even some of, you know, his teachers that they're trying to, you know, communicate with students. Sometimes their students can't communicate with them until late evening. So they're working, you know, late hours, just trying to take care of their students right now too. So I think it's, it's, it's just not easy right now at all, but these are really, really great tips to, um, you know, begin starting with setting those boundaries, giving yourself a schedule and and just giving yourself what you need, depending on how you best work. If you don't kind of mind sharing, you've, you've shared so many tips with us, but can you kind of tell us, um, you said that you're developing a mastermind program, but do you have other ways? What are the ways in which people could work with you? Sure. So working with me is a few, a few different ways. I mean, obviously, um, if you're a, you know, a lot of people in education, but you know, if, if your group is looking for a speaker, uh, then, I mean, there's, I do trainings for groups, leadership trainings, uh, as well as obviously keynote addresses and for conferences, right. And my, my areas of life balance, obviously motivation, which is really about how to adapt and thrive in, in uncertain times, which right now is probably really, it's a really good topic for those. There's people trying to figure, figure that out. And then I do some diversity training around disability identity. Um, so there's the speaking ways to engage with me. If you want to bring me in on, on a one-to-one level, um, a, a couple things I can do. Um, you know, I do, I do essentially life coaching or, you know, for me, it's mindset coaching, but it's really life coaching. So helping people get unstuck in their lives. And you mentioned the mastermind program. So I'm looking at, creating, or I'm going to be creating a, um, kind of a mastermind, eight week mastermind program, uh, for folks that want to improve their work-life balance. And I'm defining that kind of broadly right now. So for some work-life balance is how do I set my boundaries? Some it's time management. Sometimes it's burnout. Sometimes it's like, I just really don't like where my life is at and I want to get unstuck. And, and so I'm looking at launching that. So if anyone's actually interested in that, um, you know, the first step for me is like, I haven't even set the, all the parameters of the program. I, I started to create this program and then I said to myself, instead of like reading market research, I actually want to talk to people like real people that are having this. Like I'm still reading the market research, but like I want to talk to people that are having work-life issues and I actually want to interview them. So if anyone wants to touch base with me, then, you know, I call it a one hour work-life focus session. It's, it's free. There's no charge. It's me asking questions so I can build a better program and a personalized program to my attendees. But it's also a lot of the questions that are asked help also help give people work-life clarity, a little bit more clarity and sort of where they're at and where they need to go. And so that's a great, that's a great place to, to connect with me um, in term, in terms of work-life balance. Do you, um, do you mind letting us know where can we connect with you at your social media? Um, you have a website. Yep. So, I uh, mean, you know, it'll be in the show notes, but so social media, you know, I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn are like my two biggest ones, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, you know, LinkedIn, you gotta look for Paul Artale, P-A-U-L, last name spelled A-R-T-A-L-E. Um, you know, I'm the speaker guy that is like a chiropractor in New Jersey. That's not me. Um, and so thinking about that Instagram, it's Paul underscore Artale. And then Twitter is Paul, at Paul Artale. And same thing for YouTube. You got to Google, 
you Google my name, you'll know who I am and the motivational speaker, with the, you know, with the different arms. Uh, and then for those that, well, you know, interested more about me, the, and especially the work life call, which I'm really uh, excited to be doing and really, um, I'm on this mission to interview a hundred people to, to create this really personalized work-life balance program. They can go to paulartali.com forward slash balance. And there's like a Google form there. You can basically indicate you want to do a one-on-one session with me and what we'll, we go straight into that. And then if you want to sign up for my newsletter, get a free copy of one of my, my books, a free ebook um, and, and other resources that are there, then you can also sign up for those as well. Super cool. Um, so Paul, I just have to say you've given us so, so much great information today. And so did you have anything else that maybe we didn't cover anything else you wanted to add to kind of close out? I I would say this is a good time for people to reflect on, on what you want in your life. I mean, it's the holiday season, even though it's funny, like, again, we create, we create this thing where January is the time when we reflect you know, why, why can't we reflect in March? Right. I mean, so, um, but this is a good time for you to reflect on what you want your life to look like. And that's the most important question when we're talking about work-life balance and yes, we're in the middle of a pandemic and yes, things are uncertain and, you know, we don't know what things are going to look like, you know, month, day to day, month to month. But I think having some sort of plan of what you kind of want it to look like and comparing it to where it is right now and, and where it, it's likely to be to your best estimation once this is over, um, I think is a good place to start. And I would also encourage people to two more things. Number one, you got to have some fun in your life. So, I mean, put the, I talk about sacred time a lot, but like sacred time should include something fun. Uh, I think it, you know, it can be 10 minutes a day. It can be something silly, but you need to do something that's fun and that can, it has to have the power to automatically turn your mind off. Some people it's TV, some people it's exercise, some people it's, you know, playing a video game or you know, I'm a big kid. I like to play a toy. So like whatever it is. Um, so, so you, you got to really have the fun. And I also think this is also the time. The second thing is to investigate something that you're interested in. Just flat out, just investigate it, get on the Google machine for 10 minutes and just, you know, whatever it is you're interested in or whatever that next hurdle is for you, figure out ways to get around it or figure out what it is. So then you know how to get around it. Awesome. I just have to say thank you so much for taking your time to be here today, for sharing everything that you shared with us, for motivating us. Um, I'm really, really excited for everybody to hear this episode. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Self Project Podcast. I hope that you were able to find something useful or inspirational to take away with you today. So come and connect with me over on Instagram. It's at underscore Christy Martin. And let me know what you want to hear more of. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And I will see you next time.